There is a romanticism to New York City, is there not? I mean, look, we we lose it. By the way, Boy From Oz is that opening there. We lose it when we talk about the political scene. We lose it when we talk about our own mayor. But at the end of the day, New York City has still a romantical feel about it. And by the way, that song reminds me of it. But also, the headline I saw on the Daily News, keeping it with Alexander Garrett, the headline I saw on the Daily News this week, New York City saved my life. Well, that brought me back to the reality that, yes, there is goodness in the city. There's amazingness in the city. And and my next guest, he's a CUNY professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice at the uh, Lloyd Seeley Library, uh, is Jeffrey Kressler. Jeffrey, uh, thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Alan. Now, I'm not sure how many outlets, radio stations, podcasts have reached out to you about this, but I just think your story, and God bless you for surviving that whole, uh, you know, heart attack that you had. But why did New York City save your life? And also, why were you compelled to write this story? Uh, I I began thinking of what I said in this piece while I was in the cardio unit at Elmhurst Hospital, because it just was nonstop. The uh, quality and the just the everyday diversity of the uh, staff, and and it got me thinking about New Yorkers, and it's they're all New Yorkers, and they're all working together, and they're all working together for a common purpose, and I couldn't help but admire that, and so that's why I kind of put the piece together. Uh, now, when I say New York City saved my life, uh, on the one hand, it means, yes, the Health and Hospitals Corporation, Elmhurst Hospital of the city of New York, did a great job and saved my life. But when I say New York City saved my life, I mean the people of New York City, because all of those people working in the hospital, from the firemen who arrived in my living room to the EMS team to the uh, cardio doctors and the ER doctors, and finally the, the person who was you know, sweeping the floor in my sure. in my room, all New Yorkers, and by the way, all Americans. So it just made me feel good. Now, by the way, we're talking with Jeffrey Kressler. He's a professor at CUNY, uh, John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Uh, when he says cardio unit, he suffered a heart attack uh, at the end of the long 4th of, Jay, 4th of July holiday in front of his house. And you said in your article within 20 minutes... Uh, you had you had help, and then if I'm not mistaken, y'all said what within the next, within like a minute and a half, if I'm not mistaken, that the EMS team was there. Um, you know, I'm unloading the car, and it's like boom, uh, like boom, and I can't. Oh, I've never felt like this. And when my brother-in-law looked at me, and I'm sitting there, and I'm having trouble taking my watch off, and said, I've never felt like this before. He says, That's it, nine one one. And he just gives everything. And I said, okay, Charlie, 911. And it seemed like a minute and a half. The firemen were in my living room so quick. I mean, my wife was parking the car around the corner. And by the time she got back, the fire trucks were in front of the house. And the EMS team 
was right behind them. So Amazing. That kind of efficiency, and when I looked at these individuals standing in my living room, I said, I am in such good hands, and that feeling continued all the way through. I mean, within minutes, they had assessed the situation. Yeah, that's a heart attack. And uh, the EMS crew was taking over. They got me into the truck. My wife's in the uh, ambulance with me. And they said, she's like, uh, we should go to Wild Cornell because that's where he had heart surgery 15 years ago. And they said, let me see, Elmhurst Hospital is seven minutes away. Mount Sinai and Astoria is eight minutes away. We're going to Elmhurst. Boom. And as soon as we got in the hospital, the doors were swinging open. Like, I wasn't waiting. They weren't checking anything. They just whisked me right in to the first set of ER doctors, and then they whisked me to the to the next thing. It was like, boom, boom. It was like the entire place was welcoming me. You're our guy. We'll take care of you. And all I know is I had complete confidence in everyone who I encountered there, and I just knew that I was in good hands. Now, I tell you, I also brought you on because I feel like you're dispelling a lot of complaints that the people in Queens have, the people in the city have, oh, everybody's not as attentive enough and all that, but you're dispelling that right here on this podcast. And I thank you for that because there is good in this city. It's, uh, it's not that the good in the city is something, uh, gee, I never noticed that before, or it's unusual. The the thing is that it's the bad in the city that's unusual. The good stuff is around us all the time. And it's a city that works. And when I say the city works, I mean that the people of the city of New York work together so well most of the time. And as I said in the article, when there is friction and that friction escalates into violence, and sometimes it's because... One person is from one place and another person is from another place and there's friction and it escalates into violence. We know that like, we're outraged because that is the exception. That's not the norm in the city. It happens ex- in exceptional circumstances. And, you know, we're human beings. We blow our tops and uh, we lash out and we're, we don't take that as a norm. No, and we and we should not, and, and we should not take that as a norm. Uh, and so this happens. How are you feeling, by the way? Uh, I am pretty much myself. I am. I am fine, but the the reality is that with a heart attack, there is always damage to the heart, and sure. so the question is, how much damage and how permanent. And that's a long-term process to uh, get answers to that. So, you know, my cardiologist was not concerned. She seemed to think uh, there are a lot of good signs here and we'll not rush anything and it should be fine. You know, she didn't say it would be fine, but she didn't say, oh, no. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. She had a, she had a good, uh, you know, a good feeling, a feeling of positivity about this, that you will get through this. And, of course, the thing about Elmhurst Hospital is I know people that talk about it, they badmouth it. They say it's not good, but clearly you had a very different experience. Well, one of the, one of the interesting things is that while I'm in the uh, uh, cardiologist,
cardio care unit in my room and my wife's with me, you know, she's, you know, can't ask me how I am all the time. So she's looking on her phone and she's looking up Elmhurst Hospital and cardiologist. And she found out that council member Danny Drum of Jackson Heights Elmhurst had allocated $4 million to Elmhurst Hospital specifically to upgrade their cardio unit. And I, thought, I wrote a letter to Danny and said, because I, I know him, and said, Danny, you, know, you, you may have saved my life, <laughs> you, know, you in the city of New York. Because it, it's just the kind of thing that shows if we target the kind of money that he like, injected into that one part of Elmhurst Hospital specifically to upgrade that, we can have great quality. But, well, you know, it's interesting. I saw him on uh, Wednesday night at the Queen's Power 100 with City and State New York. I happened to interview him a little bit because he's on the education department of the council as well. So he's doing right. a lot of things to change the city. Uh, yeah. And um, I just wanted to thank him for that kind of, you know, let me put it to you this way. $4 million for a cardio unit sure beats dog runs. Yeah, yes, it does. Now, you, you also mentioned, and you were, you know, brilliant to point out the way that the Celebrating Diversity and Cooperation, uh, you, you found that experience. I want to play you an audio bit from that same event at the Power 100 from new DA uh, Melinda Katz about this diversity uh, that you spoke about. Always about the diversity. Always about the strength of that diversity. I don't care what they say down in Washington. The diversity of this borough is the gift we give the rest of the United States of America. How right is she on that? How right I, is she on that? What did she say? I couldn't really... That, that, uh, that diversity is the gift that Queens gives to America, in other words. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for, for years when I've written about Queens, I've, I've said Queens is the most diverse place on the planet. You know, and I, I defy anyone to say otherwise. Some people say, oh, no, Houston. I'm like, you know, <laughs> Queens is the most diverse place on the planet. And it's remarkable how well it works. You know, do the Hindus hang out with the Muslims? Maybe not. But on the other hand, they're living together. My my favorite Queen story, uh, when I lived in Astoria, before we moved to Sunnyside, we, I kept going back to the same, you know, Greek deli in Astoria. And uh, Angelo said, how's the wife? How's the new house in Sunnyside? I said, oh, it's fine. But you know, Angelo, uh, there are uh, there are um, the grocery stores are owned by Turks in Sunnyside, and he said Turks in Sunnyside, and then he said ah, Turks is nice people too, <laughs> you know. And this is a Greek in Astoria, you know. He's not carrying old world fights into Queens with him. I mean, it's you know the Turks are making money in Sunnyside, and the Greeks are making money in Astoria, and everyone's making money and sending their kids to college. Now, you just said they don't have the old world, uh, you know, feelings of, of uh, you know, grudges and whatnot. How can we move people out of those uh, old world, old school feelings um, that aren't, that are stuck in their ways? Well, unfortunately, I don't think that it's the old world animosities that are uh, causing unhappiness in the body politic these days, shall I say. Uh, I, I think it's a lot of the leaders, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that the Democratic Party today is just 
so hung up on identity politics and group grievances. And you, you think of this thinking, why are you trying to divide us? Why are you saying that this group of people has an interest and it's opposed to the interests of those people over there? And I, I don't know. Where, what's the profit in that? To us and to those watching, there is no profit. They're not winning anything <laughs> by it. But it, they seem to think that that's a winning formula. And, you know, I hear people running for office in Queens saying that the elections can't be trusted, saying that the uh, criminal justice system is racist and it's horrible. It's like, I don't know. Like, it, it's doing a damn good job. It's not picking up people randomly off the street and locking them away for nothing. I mean, right. you know, when things like that happen, I, we're appalled and we want it to be fixed. So let, let's go to your your work at CUNY with the John Jay uh, College Criminal Justice. What's that atmosphere like? And by the way, how was it returning to work following this whole experience? Well, I'm uh, just going to work. I've gone to work a couple of days, uh, and then I come home and collapse. So I, I don't have complete stamina yet, but in the next two weeks, I'll. Uh, uh, by the time the semester begins, I should be back at at CUNY. Uh, it's CUNY itself is a miracle in terms of the student body. Uh, in the library, I, I have kids working in under me in the library and they're, uh, from the middle East and India and Japan and China and Haiti and, uh, St. Lucia. And they're, it's not a question. I have you know, Dominican kids from the Bronx and Puerto Ricans from Manhattan. And it's not, you know, that's who CUNY is. And if you leave us alone, everyone, uh, you know, we, we'll do fine. And and who would you say should leave you alone? Like what, what, um, who, what was that directed at? I'm, I'm not, um, sure. uh, you know, one of my colleagues, congratulated me on the piece and said, but that was a, a unnecessary dig at, at academia because I said, you know, so much of academia now is systemic racism and, you know, grievances, grievance studies, as they say. And I'm just, I just roll my eyes at this stuff because uh, I'm a New York City historian. I, I know a lot about the friction and tension that has been in New York City over the centuries. And what we have now is a mature situation where we now have an opportunity for people to, uh, uh, you know, CUNY educates everyone. Come on in. And I love, you know, I've known Matos Rodriguez, uh, Felix, for a long time when he was at Queens College, uh, now working his way as a chancellor. And I think I'm very proud of him for that. Yeah. You know, so I'm I just wish that the uh the governor would fund CUNY the way it it deserves to be funded, but other than that, it's uh it's something to celebrate about New York City. You know, the fire department, we can celebrate them. The EMS crew celebrate them. The public hospital will celebrate them. The City University of New York will celebrate them because for the most part it's it's working and it's serving the people of the city 
as it's meant to. And the cops of New York. You know, they've been dealing with a lot of stuff as well with the dousings. <laughs> yeah, the, the, I left out the police because they they weren't involved with me at all. But, uh, okay, let's thank the NYPD. There you go. <laughs> now, you said you're a historian. I looked at your bio. You're a, ba- you're a sports historian. So, come on, you got to be excited. The Mets and Yankees are th- lighting it up this season, this summer. If you want to know the oddest thing, uh, I have, over the last couple of years, I have not been watching baseball at all. Like maybe one or two games at the end of the season, but not even a whole game. And ever since this happened to me, I've been watching the Yankees. I've been watching the Mets. I'm driving my wife nuts. And uh, You tuned in at the right time, I guess. I know, yeah. It's it's a pretty remarkable run for those two teams. So uh, I'm looking forward to October. You find that, see, I, I don't know. Professor, you know, people who are professors, some of them may not even like sports. So I was like, oh, this guy likes sports. I love it. So did, do you find that many of your faculty are also sports fans and whatnot? I know you wrote a book on this as well. What I, what I, uh, how I came to be a, uh, sports historian. I'm not really a sports historian. I'm a New York historian. And I put together a book uh, called uh, New York Year by Year, which was a chronological history of the city. This happened in this year, this happened in that year, that kind of thing. And the editor looked at the manuscript and said, you know, you have too much sports stuff in here. I thought, well, how can you leave that out? And so I took out a lot of the sports stuff and realized I had another book. So I created a Greater New York sports chronology with all of the dumb sports facts that you can think of from the Dutch to Derek Jeter. Uh, and since I've been at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, I arrived there in 2005 uh, after getting my library degree. Um, I have a doctorate in history and then I got a library degree. Uh, since I'm at a college of criminal justice, I began putting together a chronology of crime and policing in New York City. So I have like thousands of dumb facts about uh, the criminal justice system and the history of the police and crimes. And and the punchline is, you know what? We're really grateful that most criminals are really dumb. Yes, that is that is that's actually very true because they are easily caught and and in the dumbest ways, as you say. Yeah, most of them. So and, and so uh, I got to ask, because this was like, you know, a lot of people are comparing this to 42 years ago with the Yankees red hot, the blackouts happening, son of Sam. What was that whole thing like? Uh, you know, you felt like New York City had a kind of intensity everywhere in the uh, mid 70s because we had uh, we had just avoided bankruptcy. I mean, we were, the city of New York, for all intents and purposes, was bankrupt. And uh, the the state legislature came together, and Governor Carey did, and that gave the city some stability, but it was a city of scarcity. I mean, CUNY wasn't funded, the schools weren't funded, the trains weren't being repaired, uh, there were housing abandonment, uh, in the 1970s, that's New York City lost uh, 800,000 people. I mean, we've never lost 
people ever in the city of New York, and we lost, you know, three quarters of a million people in in the 1970s. So the miracle of New York since then is our recovery into the global city that uh, is familiar to everyone today. And and I got to ask you this because your story popped up in the middle of the summer that has had outages, that's had a mayor trying to run for president, that has had a bunch of chaos around it. This one brought a lot of positivity to it. So I guess back in that era, would you say there were a lot of, there were some positive stories toward the city or was there, was it all covered in a negative light? Uh, there was a lot of negative press to go around. Uh, but on the other hand, there was also a lot of press. I mean, the newspapers covered the city in depth and now it's the very, once over uh, and not very deep. Uh, But the thing is that there were so many pundits, some elected officials, Washington, so many people had given up on New York, except for the New Yorkers. So the moral of the story from the 1970s is New Yorkers refused to quit. They, They stopped abandoning neighborhoods. And they said, wait, I'm not leaving. And, and and not just I'm not leaving wealthy people on the Upper West Side who had been mugged, but also people in working class neighborhoods in, you know, Woodhaven and, uh, you know, Crown Heights. So what happened is that there was a new resurgence of faith in the city from I don't well, not necessarily the bottom up, but from the New Yorkers themselves who forced the city not to die. So, uh, I mean, the city was on the verge of, I don't know if you remember, there was a potential policy known as planned shrinkage. Uh, a member of the Koch administration had said, you know, why don't we just abandon these bad places and concentrate on the good places? You know, eliminate libraries and parks and stop putting money in them, and then those people will go away. And it's like, what? <laughs> oh, my. I was actually born in 91, so I was just off the Dinkins era, and I'm kind of glad I was because I know that one was also a bit of a mess. But it was, uh, you know, it, it was never an option for New Yorkers to quit on the city. And that's the uh, uh, that's the miracle of that really terrible time of the 1970s. Uh, and it was, I mean, during the during the Cox years, you had all of those horrible racial incidents uh, in Howard Beach and uh, Bensonhurst, and all this racial agitation. And the thing is, you know, most New Yorkers weren't applauding these incidents. Most New Yorkers were appalled. It's like, how can people behave like this? Right. And so that kind of basic sort of urban decency is what uh, carries New York through. Do you feel like we still have that decency or has that been eroded under? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, What's being being eroded is... uh, (laughs) Our skyline. <laughs> well, that's the other thing I was going to ask you. So you said people were, you know, they really wanted to stay and keep the city thriving. I feel like a lot of people are are maybe some of them are giving up and leaving the state. Would that and city? Would that be accurate? Uh, well, people are leaving New York State. People want to come to New York City. The uh, 
New York City has become a very expensive city, and uh, I don't know how we can... I mean, the mayor's plan to create affordable housing is just nonsense. It's just telling the private sector to build bigger buildings. And, you know, sometimes they tear down more units than they put into the new buildings. So it's uh, not a solution at all. But, um, you know, that we need a real solution to keeping people in the city because people want to be here, people who make the city work. Well, maybe I'll head to your library. We can sit down and discuss it and, and make solutions happen. Because I feel like, <laughs> no, I, it's it's people like you and I that are writing, that are podcasting, that are out there sharing our story that are making the difference, not these politicians. Uh, I'd say it's in spite of some of our leaders. Yes, that that is very true as well. And so... Uh, Professor Kressler, I was just so happy to see this article, and I'm so glad I got you on because I was itching for it all week. I said, I got to get him on. My, <laughs> well, my dad I, my dad had the Daily News, and I had the seen the article. I'm like, wait a minute. Let me see that. And I'm like, I got to get him on, and here you are. So thank well, you, Professor. Thank you very much for calling. And uh, we'll have you back on again when things are uh, maybe some more positive stories or just when the city's in a tense moment. I think you bring a lot of clarity to this. So we'd love to have you back on. Okay. Anytime. I'll uh, look forward to it. That was Professor Jeffrey Kressler of CUNY John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And I actually was born across the street from you guys. <laughs> so uh, there you go. A little uh, bookend there. So Well, if you need some nostalgia, you can uh, wander into the old neighborhood. Well, every year at uh, on, my, on October 20th when I was born, I thank the nurses of the ICU. <laughs> uh, no, and this is where I kind of felt similar to you in that I had struggles even as a baby. Uh, and I was in the ICU for 77 days. Right across the street from you. So how about that for a little small worlds colliding? It is indeed. Well, God bless you, sir, and, and feel better, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. I'm Alexander Garrett, keeping it real this Friday in New York City. If you get caught between the moon and New York City, the best that you can do, the best that you can do, the best that you can do is fall in love.